churches, that song declared in one of the verses, it says, the work is finished, the end is written. Notice that most of the verbs up there were past tense. He set us free. He has broken every chain. There are things that God has done that is true for us now. And as we sang before that, because of this work, we are considered children of God. Do you know this God? As you sing, I hope that your hearts were rejoicing in praise and hallelujah to the one who truly did set us free. And today we're going to learn about that God. So before we do that, let's pray and thank the Lord for what he has done for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. I think of the fact of the king of glory stepping down and becoming a human. For us and for our salvation, you have accomplished for us everything that we have needed to be reconciled back to you. Lord, thank you. I pray that our hearts would rejoice in that today, Lord, as we look at your word, as we read and as we hear, Lord, I pray that you would convict, but that you would encourage also. Lord, sustain us by your word. Strengthen us by your spirit. We need to know you more. Help us to that end, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We have been in Genesis chapter 1. And today, we are going to look at a question, or answer a question, that the world and all humanity have to answer. We have to reckon with a question. The question simply stated is this, who am I? Who am I? We all want to find a way to define ourselves. We're all trying to find something that answers the question, what makes us valuable? What is unique about me that is different from everyone else? Or am I just like everyone else? If I ask any of the kids, who are you? If I go up to say, who are you? I would hear, I am William. I am Bree. I am Parker. I am Ridley. I am Isaac. They'll tell you their name. They define themselves by their name. As they get older, kids start contemplating this idea. Ask them, what do you want to be when you get older? I want to be an inventor. I want to be a musician. I want to be a mommy. I want to be a professional sports player. I want to be an actor, a designer. I want to be a pastor. We define ourselves by our profession. And so many times we heighten one profession over another. Think about how many times you see this. Don't worry, I'm a doctor. You never hear someone say, don't worry, I'm a portable toilet cleaner. You don't hear that. We value one as needed more, perhaps, than another. And we pay people accordingly. We want to pursue dreams of recognition, even of acceptance. We desire fame and fortune and want to be the best in our profession. I think of two individuals, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. If you don't know them, there's this thing called European football. We call it soccer. Cristiano Ronaldo has 200 
140 million followers on Instagram. Lionel Messi has about another 140 million. So combined, they have a lot of the audience of the world and they are rivals. They're such rivals against each other, especially as young players. Cristiano Ronaldo said to an interviewer, God sent me into the world to teach the world how to play soccer. Same interviewer told Lionel Messi this. Said, Lionel Messi, what do you think about his comment? God sent him into the world to teach the world how to play soccer. Lionel Messi said, honestly, I don't remember sending him. (laughs) Competition, envy, each one wanting to be better, the best. That's all of us. Why we do what we do. Sometimes we strive to do what we do because we're watching on social media what this person has, what this person's doing. Look at how they do that. Look at how they do this. We're always trying to define what we do and how good we are at doing it typically determines our value. Rarely do we reflect on the question, why are we doing this? Should we be doing this? What should we be doing? But before we answer even that question, we have to answer the very basic question that our passage deals with today, which is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? This is the question our world is struggling to answer today. In the past, perhaps theological questions wrestled over the person of Christ, fully God, fully man. In the past century, the 20th century, really we wrestled over this idea of authority, the authority of the Bible, especially as we're defending it against various scientific revolutions of our time. In the 21st century, our century, we're answering more questions on humanity than ever before. Questions like, when does life begin? Is there such a thing as a soul? Are there other beings on other planets and how would we relate to them? How does technology affect what it means to be human? Will we be able to replace every organ in our body through engineering? Does male and female have anything to do with who we are? And can we change it if we desire? How is social media affecting our human relationships? All of these questions are being asked in our time. All of them are trying to answer what it means inherently to be human. As one theologian observes, and I'm putting it on the screen for you, here's the question. Does the human person live in an ordered creation and have an appointed identity, or do we make our own identity in a world without God? And as he notes, he says this, this is the question of our age. This is what you and I have to be ready to answer for our children, for our grandchildren, for people all around us are asking this question. Do we have an appointed identity or do we make our own identity without God? So we've been looking at this idea of how did we get here? We've seen that God, from the beginning, made everything. And over the first three days, he started forming the chaos into an ordered area. And then he fills it in the next three days. And this has been the story of creation. And God is not only the main character of this story. He's also the author 
of this story of creation. As Ravi Zacharias said, he says, if God is the author of life, there must be a script. Where there is a script, there must be a story. He says, it is not that the world is a stage and we can pick and choose different scripts how we want. The individual subplot, our individual stories must gain its direction from the larger story of God's purpose for our lives. And so our passage today shows us that the image of God is like the script to his story for humanity. The image of God. It is only, we'll see only human characters in God's story that have this gift. Only us. And it is what sets apart humanity from the rest of creation and all other created beings, even angels themselves. So read with me our passage today is Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And this is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As Jasper mentioned last week, day six is not done. He ended, but then he said, humans will be created. Here we see humanity being created. And he's not just an animal. He's not just another animal that God created. No, no, no. The main point that God is saying is that God made us uniquely in his image, so we would look like him. No other creature has this gift. So the first thing we see in our passage is that man's creation was a divine conversation. The first thing, man's creation was a divine conversation. Notice what it says. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God is speaking to himself. The question is, who is he speaking to? There's been many views on this. Some say it's the idea of a plural of majesty. The name of God, Elohim itself, is plural. It's the manifold glory of God. Others would say it's the plural of potential. There's more that we will know about God to come in Scripture. So in Genesis 1, when he says, let us, some say, well, that's the trinity, The Jews would not have understood it to be a trinity, but it's a plural of potential, meaning further revelation would spell out the truth that God indeed is a trinity. So it's divine hints of future revelation. But most likely, God is speaking to what is known as the divine council, other created beings like the angels in whom he is talking to. They are there during this time. Remember, God created the heavens and the earth When we look at Genesis 1-2, we're looking only at the earth, but it didn't remove everything that was created in the heavens. So it's God and the heavenly host. Not to say that man is made in the image of angels. Notice what it says in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. So God is having a conversation and says, let us make man in our image, and then he makes them in his own. It's almost like you and I saying something like, hey, what are we going to do today? I know what I'm going to do. We do that a lot. 
Or let's see. Who's, who are we, who's seeing? I'm giving you my perspective. But there's a group of people. But as fascinating as that conversation is, I believe it's missing the point. So let's get back to what we're seeing here. But it's a divine conversation. And the reason why it's a divine conversation is that God decided to make mankind purposefully and uniquely. Purposefully. Notice here that God stops. And he shows care to the creation of humanity. With everything else that God made, God said, let there be. Or let the waters do this. Or let the birds do this. Or let the heavens fill with birds. This is the only time when God stops and says, let us make man. In fact, the story of mankind, the creation of mankind is so important that we'll see it again in Genesis chapter 2. He spends a whole chapter on the creation of man and woman because man is a center character in the story of scripture. It's not by random chance or accident. It is particular purpose that God is going to declare to us. He's telling us, this is what I want humanity to be. But the other aspect is it's also uniquely. It's uniquely created. Man is uniquely created. No other creature is made this way. No other creature is tasked with what humanity is asked to do. And this image becomes a key to the storyline of redemption. In fact, no other creature is able to be saved. There's only one creature that God gives redemption to from the curse. It is humanity. That's important. Now, it's not to say that God doesn't care about the rest of his creation. In fact, I think of the story of Jonah. Do you realize Jonah chapter 4? When God's talking to Jonah about Nineveh, he says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, but the last phrase is, and also much cattle. That's how he ends it. There's other things there that I care about, not just humanity, but there's cattle, there's livestock. I've created all of them, so I care for them. I think at the end of Job, how much time does he spend talking to Job about how amazing the other aspects of his creation are? I made this ostrich. Boy, is it dumb, but can it run fast? Yes, sir, I made that one. I gave him speed, but took away his wit. Think of the Sermon on the Mount, though. We are still unique from creation, even though we are made along with creation. Matthew chapter 6 Jesus asked the question, why are you worried so much? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, yet your father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This is the question he asked. Do you not understand the value that is yours as image bearers of me? Is what he says. Now our world, let's be honest, we, we get this backwards typically. The world believes that we are highly intelligent primates that have become the dominant species on earth. We have no more value than animals and so we are so quick to fight for animal life while we easily extinguish human life. The next thing though we see here is that man's creation was not just a divine conversation. It was also a divine reflection. This goes into the purpose of why we were created. Think of it like a mirror. We were meant to reflect God in how we live in this world. That's why Paul would write in the New Testament, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. You are to reflect God no matter what you choose to do. That's what you're made to do, is to reflect the glory 
of God. Now, how do we do this? In our passage, we're going to see that one of the things we're going to do is serve under God's rule. That's what God's told us to do, is to serve under his rule and to give him glory by doing what he's asked us to do. We obey him. We serve him. We know him. We live in relationship with him. And so God is the king. We saw that on the first verse. God is the king. He owns it all. He determines who we are and what we do. And so God shows us right here, who we are determines what we do. What we do does not determine who we are. Who we are determines what we do. Being something means we do something. Notice in verse 26, after he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, then he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We were made in the image of God, therefore we have rulership. Rulership is not by itself the image of God. We rule because we have been made in the image of God. It is an outflow of the essence of who we are. As Owen Strayan says, he says this about the image of God. The image of God is not something we possess. It's who we are. The image then isn't fundamentally a trait or an attribute. Which is hard because so many times that as I was reading this, the image of God was like we have a conscience or we have emotions or we have a will or other things like that. And he's saying, no, 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 it's not necessarily a trait or an attribute. It's not something like a quality that waxes or wanes. He says the image doesn't depend on rationality, nurturing environment, good education, good upbringing. The image isn't inhibited by physical deficiencies. Humanity, period, is made in God's likeness, whatever it looks like. Humanity, by definition, is made in God's likeness. Whether it is a small child who just, or even is inside the womb, but just born, you're holding this new child, image of God. 100-year-old, image of God. All in between. Reflect God as image bearers of God. Here's the question though. Do we believe that's true? Do we believe that's true? How we act shows what we believe. Again, let's go back to this idea of I'm defined by my doing. My doing defines my value. I'm good at my job. Therefore, I'm valued by those in my job. I'm a good student. I'm a good boyfriend or girlfriend or just friend, which stinks if you don't want to be just friends. I'm a good father, I'm a good mother, I'm a good Christian, therefore I have value. That's all circumstantial value. Can we just be honest, that changes quickly? It could change every day, even within the day. Circumstantial value just comes and goes. How do I feel I'm doing? It's typically based on our feelings. I don't feel like I'm doing very good today, therefore my value is less today. Or that person didn't appreciate my value, therefore it is less today. And this is pushed all throughout our society. You are valued if you show yourself valuable. Who determines, though, that value? If we determine the value, we have some serious problems. Because then the number one question we're concerned about is what can you do for me? How do you make me feel? And typically we choose 
Society is pushed. That's how people choose their spouse. What can they do for me? How do they make me feel? That's how we choose our work. That's potentially how we choose our friends. That's how we choose our church. What happens when we determine that that value is gone? What happens when we determine that value is gone? When these people are unable to do the things that are valuable to us. Well, this is the reason why we have so many broken relationships and even broken families. These thoughts lead to abuse, neglect, domestic violence, trafficking, slavery, rioting. This thought leads to things like abortion, genocide, suicide. All sorts of evils from humanity to humanity is because we have determined the value of people on our own. Our world has absolutely neglected the inherent value of humanity. And this isn't new. This isn't surprising to us. We read this in the opening chapters of Genesis. You see, humanity believed that we're really good at deciding what is good and best for us. And we decided we don't need God to determine what's right or wrong, what's good and evil. I will decide that myself. And in Genesis chapter 4, you have the first murder in the first family with the first siblings. At the end of Genesis 4, you have polygamy and another murder. The outflow, and that's just our history, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Violence after violence, evil after evil, all of it perpetrated by us, typically to one another, because we do not value one another. But here's the problem. We can't write our own script. God has already written it for us. And the image of God is still on us today. It's interesting, after the flood, think of what it says about it prior to the flood. Violence was exceedingly great on the earth. God saw that every thought and inclination of their heart was only evil continually, and God wiped out all but eight people. And after the flood, God speaks to Noah, and he says, listen, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Even after all of this, he says, God made man in his own image. Still in the image of God, even after all of that happened. So it's not something that we do. It is something that we are. And again, man has neglected that purpose to which we were created, to reflect God and glorify him. But church, this is still true today. So let's think of it like this. If this is still true today, how do we as believers live this out? What does the image of God look like for us today? How do we respond to these things? We are looking at it through Christ. So this story is back from the beginning. We're coming through Christ to us today. The first thing that we have to see is that every human has equal value. I purposefully use the word equal. Equal value. Because let's be honest, there are some people that I would gladly live without in my life. I would gladly not have chosen some of the people who are in my life, yet God is saying to me, Charles, every single human has equal value. And if I want to get rid of them or wish they were gone out of my life, that is not my choosing. Equal value. Value. God has placed value on all humanity apart from any effort that you and I bring. That's why God values both the rich and the poor, both the strong and the weak, both the wise and the simple, both male and female, every race, every age, 
everyone with a birth defect or who is in perfect health, everyone who's an honor student or those with severe mental disabilities. God values those who are in wheelchairs as well as those who are in seats of power. God is not a respecter of persons. He shows no favoritism, none Because all are made in his image and his desire is for all to come to repentance and a knowledge of him. This is also why the Bible reminds us that we are to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Those seeking our harm. Those who annoy us, inconvenience us, or who just keep exhausting us because they haven't lost the image of God. We still honor the image, even when the person is not living honorably. This is also why we would never slander or make fun of someone or bully someone or ignore someone. Look at what James says, James chapter 3. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth... Come blessing and cursing, brothers, this should not be. I think of our attitude to people who annoy us. I think of our quick criticism and slander, even in our country today, and especially over what's been happening in our state and even in our nation. Look at how stupid that person is. I cannot believe that person's in charge. I can't believe these are our candidates. Are you kidding me? Criticism after criticism after criticism. They are made in the image of God. This should not be that you bless God and curse other people in his image. This must stop. Church, this has to stop. We recognize this. We can't look like the world who doesn't recognize it. We're telling every day we're told that this is true and this is exactly what our message is. This is who we are to be. We need to repent and ask God for forgiveness for our criticism so quickly of other people who are made in the image of God. God is very clear on this. All people have equal value. Who are we to judge one of greater value or greater significance, especially when we compare them to ourselves? We think so highly of ourselves. God, I thank you so much. I'm not like so-and-so. Thank you, God. All of us are in the image of God, but another point of Scripture is that not all of us are in the true image of God. What What are you saying? The image of God, but not the true image of God? The next thing we see in Scripture is that Christ is the true image of God. So Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. All humanity is made in the image of God. But the image of God in them, because of sin, is not accomplishing the purpose. That's what sin is. It falls short of the glory of God. It doesn't do it. It goes and then doesn't achieve. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It's vanity, vanity. All of this is vanity. Man tries to do all these things. What gain does he have? It doesn't mean much to the end result. What is the end result? Fear God and keep his commands, he concludes. But there's only one who's done this perfectly. Jesus Christ is the true image of God and he is truly the fullest expression of humanity. Bizarre that God himself, we just talked about it in our song that we sung, that God is the one who stepped down from glory. And I think of this. 
We have an appointed identity. The Bible's very clear in passages like Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. God says this about it. He says, we know that all those who love God, all things will work together for good. It's a promise because God has called us according to his purpose. What is his purpose? Those he foreknew, those he chose from beforehand, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the purpose to which salvation has come. That's the purpose in which he sent Jesus to redeem people to return in a better, magnificent way to reflect God by reflecting his son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those whom he predestined, he called, and here's the work of God on our behalf. Those he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That's the end goal of full conformity to the image of Christ. That's his purpose. That's why God's doing anything in us right now. That's why he saved you. That's why he brought you to an understanding of the truth is that you would grow in Christ-likeness. God saved us to look like Jesus and have a relationship with him and his son. Think of God. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God reveals himself as the one who loved us and gave us Jesus. So the question, well, well, who's Jesus? What do we know about Jesus? Look at Philippians 2. I love this. Again, think of it newly as we read this in light of this reality. Jesus, though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Equality with God. Think of that. Think of that. John writes and says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, the Bible says, is at the side of the Father, the Father's side. He has revealed him. So much so that John 14, Jesus makes this staggering claim. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're made to reflect God. Jesus perfectly reflected God. We were called to serve under the lordship of God. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Nothing else. I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. Perfect submission as a human to God. Exactly what we were to do. Jesus is doing it. He is the image of the invisible God. It says the exact imprint of his nature. Can I tell you and remind you? That is not us. This is Jesus. Jesus is equal to God. Man in God's image is not equal to God. We are created. Jesus is the one who reveals. If we've seen him, we've seen the Father. But notice what it says in verse 7. He did not count this a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Notice, taking the form of of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Man was made in the image of God. Jesus was made in the likeness of man. That's amazing. That's amazing humility. God says, let's make man in our image. And then he says to Jesus, now we're going to make God in the image of man. We're going to make him look like man. He's going to be man. Here's man. My son is going to be a human and being found in human form, he humbled himself more 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we know that because of that act, God exalted him above every name that is named. So at the name of Jesus, the true image of God, the true, fully human who ever lived at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we overlook how, how shockingly human Jesus is. Shockingly human. That God the Son became Jesus of Nazareth. His name wasn't always Jesus. It became Jesus, and now we call him Jesus. But when Mary named him, that was his name. You will call him Jesus, because he's going to save people from their sins. There he is. He's now Jesus of Nazareth, forever identified with you and me, humans. Forever united to humanity. Forever being like us. That's amazing. But he looked just like us. It's shocking. And he did that because we needed a new pattern to be patterned after. Adam failed. Jesus succeeded. So we're either in Adam or in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is arguing about this idea of resurrection. And he says there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. So it is written, notice the first Adam became a living being. We'll see that in Genesis chapter 2. The last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Notice he says the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And then after that, the spiritual. In other words, the secondary person came first as a pattern of the true. That's what Romans 5 is identifying. He says, listen, Adam is a type of the one to come. In Adam, though, all die. In Christ, he says, all will be made alive. This is the secondary. The natural came first, but it was pointing to the spiritual. The better one is Christ, and that's his argument here. And then he says this. He says, the man who was first was of the dust. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are all of those who are of the earth. That's us. We're in Adam by nature. Sinners in need of God's grace. And then he says, but as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven, the true image, those who are bearing the likeness of the image of Christ. And then he says, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. The pattern, church, is Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. So the third point comes right out of this. Believers can reflect Jesus, the image of God, the true image of God, now as we wait for it then. Colossians 3 says this, if you've been raised with Christ, you and I are to seek the things that are above. This is action flowing out of who we are. Where Christ is, he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not here. Why? Because here's a reality of you, of identity. You're dead. Your life now is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, when he comes, he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, you are to put to death what is earthly in you. That which of of the first man, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is how we once walked, all of us. When we were living in them. But now, now, because of the definitive work of God, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander. Again, because image bearers don't get slandered. Obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. 
Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And notice, you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our creator is Jesus in Colossians. He says it very specifically. He created everything. All things are to him. He's the one that we're being patterned after. We're being renewed in knowledge. And then he makes this astonishing claim. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Do you realize that old list? That old list is ways that you and I differentiate value of people. The Jews hated the Greeks because they weren't Jews. The Greeks hated the Jews because they weren't Greeks. You have this determinity. They're a barbarian. They're people who are outside civilization. Think of all of these things. This is exactly what he's saying. Different ways of valuing people are gone. They're gone in Christ. You can't legislate against racism. Christ in you kills racism. That's what kills it. It's a different view of all of humanity that God has set up. Galatians says it this way, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, that's something we need to grow in, is our understanding that Christ now living through us is that we value everyone, but we're looking more like Jesus as we do these things, because that's who he's made us to be. It's not sufficient that we coast to glory. The question that we have to answer is, well, how are we transformed? That's what we want. We want transfer pe- transformation. We want changing people over there. How do we get that? Maybe I should turn around. Oh, there it is, God's presence. God's presence, transcendence, God revealing himself, beholding glory. Look at what it says. It says in, I believe, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, beholding the glory, we are being transformed into that same image that we're beholding. What image are we beholding? Jesus Christ. Friends, do you read your Bible looking for the glory of God or for the glory of self? Do you care to read your Bible and find the glory of God? Does it stir in your heart a desire to know the Lord Jesus and to see that he is over every single part of this book and to say, this is wonderful. As you behold the glory, you by nature are being transformed into that same image that you're beholding. Because God has removed the veil from your eyes to see rightly the person of Jesus Christ and who you are in light of this. So that you and I could sing, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's amazing. And that transforms you. Because it's truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That's the only thing that's going to change you is beholding the glory of God. And God is the author of life. And so there's a script. And here it is. Imagine me coming up on stage and just standing here in the middle. Not doing anything. Just standing here. Everybody else is singing. Everybody else is looking at the words. And I'm just here. 
you would think that I was either confused or I got up too early to speak. Charles, you need to sit down. What are you doing? Imagine if I was sitting there with you and everybody else is looking and singing the praise of God and I'm just staring at the lights, staring in the back. You'd be like, Charles, what are you? There's something missing here of where you're focusing. I think that's exactly my heart most days. I live my life as if I'm in the auditorium of heaven and I'm just sitting there going, what, what am I doing here? I need to be beholding the glory of God, knowing the fact that all of us together are pointed to this great end. We're not doing this alone. And as we see each other distracted from this very thing that we would call one another back to the truth. And so if there is a story, there must be an ending. First John chapter 3, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. What a great reminder. In fact, he says right before this, see what the love the Father has that we would be called his children. That's what we are. He says, listen, we're, we're his children now. And then he says, and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Church, that's amazing. Oh, I want to see Jesus. I want to see him exactly as he is. I've heard him since I was a boy. I want to see him with my eyes. And he says, and when we see him, we will be like him. And all who have this hope in Christ We purify ourselves. We're waiting for that day just as he himself is pure. That's amazing. We're waiting. We're looking. We're straining forward. But there's a warning. There's this man. His name is Andres Tama. He was 20 years old when he was captured by the Red Army in World War II. He's from Hungary. He was captured. He was put in a POW camp for two years. He's 20 years old, put in a POW camp. The war ended. No one understood what he was saying because he spoke Hungarian. No one knew what he was saying. They put him in a mental hospital because they had no idea what else to do with him. When he transferred from the POW camp to the mental hospital, all records of him disappeared. Now he's in Russia in a mental hospital and nobody knows what is wrong with this guy. They eventually put him in solitary confinement. No one can talk to him, so everyone stopped talking to him. Now he's in solitary confinement and not talking to anybody and he's there for 55 years. 55 years, when when he was 20 years old. In 2000, Russia started emptying some of their psych wards and they didn't know what to do with this guy. They said, maybe we should just execute him. A policeman heard him speaking and said, I think he's speaking Hungarian. He happened to know Hungarian. He went over, they got him a Hungarian psychiatrist who went and talked to him and the guy said to him, he goes, this guy's not crazy. This guy's speaking Hungarian. He's totally in his right mind. He had been ignored for 55 years as 
mentally insane. He's released. They said, let us have him. Let us take care of him. The first thing he asked for is a mirror. He hasn't seen himself in 55 days, or 55 years, days. 55 years. Hasn't, se- hasn't seen himself. He was 20 when he went in. He took the mirror, looked at it, and put it down almost immediately and just started weeping. Weeping over what he looked like. His life is practically gone. 75 years now, he's old. 75 years old, and he didn't know what he looked like. He totally forgot what he looked like, weeping over this. Church, that's a tragedy. That is horrible. We can't even fathom the fact of not even looking at ourselves for 55 years. Church, here's the thing that I have to say to you. You and I as believers, we have a mirror in front of us. We claim to know the Lord. We claim to know our Savior. And we don't even look at it and we'll forget who we actually are. We'll forget the very thing we're supposed to be looking like. We'll look and we'll be like, I don't even care about that. Could you imagine not even caring what you look like for 55 years? This man had no option but not know what he looks like. You and I every single day have an opportunity to know the one who tells us exactly why we were made and what we are called for. Do you know this man? Do you know him or are you living and defining what you should look like yourself? Trying to make yourself beautiful and valuable before the world. I tell you what, it will fail you in the end. You will weep just like this man did. Say, what have I done? What have I lived for? There's a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Tell you that judgment is real, that's going to stand before God, and you're going to give an account of your life. For those of us who know Him, listen, we are called to something greater. We're called to know Him. God's placed His image in you, and it is real, and He is real. And eventually, He's going to come back. Church, will we be ready, or will we be saying, Oh, where's my mirror? What do I look like? And we'll be weeping. By God's grace, though, in his love, if we are truly his children, he will wipe away every tear. I would rather those be tears of joy, staring into the face of my Savior and saying, yes, Lord, you're here. You're here. I've missed you. He'll say, yeah, I am. I'm here. Come. Enjoy me forever. That's what we're living for. Lord, help us to remember that. Oh, Lord, our hearts are so deceived. As I say it, Lord, I think of all the ways that I still seek value from men. Lord, I don't want to live that way. Lord, I am valuable because you have made me valuable. You've called me by your grace to be your child, Lord. And anyone who calls on you is saved and set free. And so, Lord, we can know that you are the one who's redeemed us from everything that would separate us from you. We do nothing to earn that, Lord. You've given it to us. I pray that we would just enjoy the gift of being made right with you. Lord, if people are here who do not know it, Lord, even if there are children here who do not know you, Father, I pray that you would reveal to them the fact that we are all called to know you, that you have made us in your image and we're called to reflect you. And on our own, we can't do it. Lord, we all fall short because of our sin and you sent Jesus. Jesus is the one who imaged you perfectly, who did everything right, obeyed, fully submitted to you, even to death. 
when he said it is finished, Lord, we trust him. We trust that it is finished for us. There's nothing we add to it and nothing we can take away. Lord, we're simply called to faith in you. Lord, we are sinners. You are the Savior. I pray that that would be true, Lord, that we would know that and that we would rejoice in that always until you return. Oh, Lord, that'll be a great day. Amen. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my
Jesus said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And when I was alone and destitute and in prison, you didn't come visit me. And Jesus says, people will say, when, when did we ever see you in this state and not do this for you? And Jesus says, for everyone that you considered the least of these, anytime it was another person and you did that to them or you didn't do that for them, you did it to me. Oh, what a, what a groundbreaking, fundamental perspective that we will never have on our own. That when we look out with every, onto every single person on the planet, we're seeing Jesus himself. The image of God stamped on every single person. This is where change starts in the belief and the understanding of what true identity is. The world is fighting over the evil they see, but they think just telling people to change will make them change. No, people need to hear the gospel and they need to understand God and they need to understand who they are in Jesus. And the church definitely needs to be the people reflecting the image of God to the world. God, give us eyes of compassion and love that will look out and bring change into the world through the gospel and not through worldly means of weaponry, trying to just fight and force and change people on our own. Only this message and understanding will bring the change that has been wrought in our heart. And maybe the understanding of the image of God will make us pause and think the next time we are to think about someone or say something about someone or say something to someone. We'll think about that person as if they're Jesus himself. Church, I hope you've been encouraged and challenged by today. I have been. My prayer is that we will take this message out into our week and be moved in our personal evangelism to fervently pray to people, to spiritually grow on our own, and to take this message in any way that we can to be lights in the midst of darkness. Know this as you leave. Always it is true. It never stops being true. You are loved. God bless.